Welcome to Bedtime Fairy Fails, where every fail deserves a tale. I'm Kim. Our first story tonight was sent in by James the Wild Mage from Minneapolis. This story is about a wizard who dreams big. Very big. Like, definitely too big. This is Mage Madness. Once upon a time, a long, long time ago, like at least two or three editions, there was a group of wizards. Just wizards. Each one had a different specialty. Well, one of those wizards was called James, and he was a gray elf wild mage. He actually was originally a human, but used a wish to switch over to a race with a longer lifespan. He apprenticed under the famous Elminster, who was basically the Gandalf of the Forgotten Realms. Well, that is, until he annoyed Elminster so much that he wouldn't teach him anymore. You see, James' goal in life was to constantly one-up himself on his own insanity and weirdness. Oh, and he was also dressed as Captain Kirk. In one of his wild magic surges, the random effect that happened was that he was suddenly fighting an exact copy of himself to the death. And they were both in Captain Kirk outfits. To this day, no one is actually 100% sure which one of the two came out victorious. James had also hunted down a deck of many things, and James had a 50-50 shot on drawing any card he wanted. So, of course, he used it to draw the card that gave him wishes. He then used those wishes to create macaroni pictures and popcorn necklaces. All this to set the scene for one of James's riskiest decisions ever. James had a homunculus familiar named Mini James. In case you've never seen a homunculus in real life, picture a two and a half foot tall, hairless bat that walks upright and has arms. Or, for those of us old enough to remember the movie, a gremlin with wings. Mini James and regular James always dressed in matching Captain Kirk outfits. Mini James was extremely helpful, carrying stuff, assisting in hijinks, and just being an overall bro. Mini James was cool and all, but one day, James was thinking up new ways to be ridiculous. What if Mini James was a Tarrasque? And decided to turn Mini James into a Tarrasque. If you're not already saying that's a terrible idea, you will be after I tell you exactly what it is James wants to conjure here. There is only one Tarrasque in all the world. It's a 50 foot tall, 70 foot long, 130 ton killing machine that spends its downtime sleeping in the core of the world. It looks similar to a T-Rex, but with appropriately sized arms. It has two large horns on its head, a thick shell with large spikes on its back, and a giant mouthful of razor sharp teeth. This creature is so big, it can swallow a giant hole. It is literally the most powerful monster in all of D&D. And James is about to turn his familiar into one. Now, obviously, trying to adventure with Godzilla in tow would be difficult. So James gets the help of the necromancer mage, who just so happens to have a shrink spell. Seems like a solid plan so far, right? Well, the rest of the party decided to wait on their spell jammer ship, which is a magical ship that could transport them to other planes of existence, just in case things went sideways. Which I mean, they're about to be face to face with a Tarrasque, 
probably the best decision they made that day. At this point, the voice of God himself warned them that if they choose to continue with this plan, Minnie James has a 1% chance to retain his personality. One. Otherwise, they're going to be fighting a Tarrasque, which they absolutely could not survive. The party deliberates on this briefly, but decided that they had been adventuring together for years, and if this is how they go, then at least it's a badass way to die. If not... They have a tiny Tarrasque to do their bidding. I mean, it's pretty win-win. The party prepares themselves. They pick a big open field far away from towns and civilians, which was considerate, sort of. Not releasing a Tarrasque into the world would have been way nicer, but it's better than nothing. They get the spells ready, they prepare the ship to leave on a moment's notice, and they say their goodbyes. Then, James casts Polymorph as hard as he can. They watch as many James began to change and grow bigger and bigger until they could no longer see him through the cloud of magical smoke. They hold their breath, waiting to see if they were living their final moments. Then James yells, Look! They all ready their attacks as a large shape begins moving towards them through the haze. As the smoke clears, it reveals a full-sized Tarrasque coming their way in a Captain Kirk uniform. It's Minnie James! The group cheers in excitement and disbelief. Minnie James was still Minnie James. And without any favors from God, it was just pure luck. They wouldn't have believed it if they hadn't watched this extremely small chance of success happen right before their very eyes. The necromancer snaps into action with his shrinking spell. They also cast permanency on him to make sure he stays small, and they throw on a belt of titan strength just to buff him up enough to carry all their stuff. It's officially mission accomplished. So here they are, walking around with a two and a half foot Tarrasque, loaded down with all the party's items. It was quite a sight to see. It isn't long, however, until they're stopped by the avatars of three gods. They tell the party, What you did wasn't very wise. And proceed to make their mini Tarrasque just a little less powerful. James was not happy with this. In fact, this is the moment that changed his life. He and his brother set off on a mission to destroy all three of those gods' revenge. Along with mini James, their tiny, slightly less powerful Tarrasque in a Captain Kirk uniform. The end. This next story was sent in by Karina, with credit to her amazing DM, Lucas. This is a story about the power of deceit and persuasion. All for a good cause, of course. I give you a divine robbery. Once upon a time, there was a group who called themselves the Esketeers, in honor of their fallen party member, Eska. The party consisted of a high-elf rogue named Thea, a half-elf wizard called Elysia, and Vera the Halfling Bard. Now the wizard had an aunt named Nefrena, who was a drow elf warlock. And Nefrena had broken her pact with an archdevil and was now on the run from some hellhounds he had sent after her. She comes to our heroes for help. You see, Nefrena actually used to have possession of a potion that would protect her from the hellhounds, but it was stolen from her. 
So now she needed help getting it back. The group spent a few days tracking it down and discovered it had been sold to a farmer as a weed killer for his garden, which if that actually worked, it would be a pretty marketable product. Does your back hurt from pulling weeds? Do your feet hurt from running from hellhounds? Well, boy, have I got a product for you. Go on, get the all-in-one weed killer and hellhound repellent. Guaranteed to keep the weeds away and the hellhounds at bay. So come get your bottle of Go On Get now. Go On Get is not an actual product. The party devises a plan. The bard and the wizard would distract the farmer while Nefrena and the rogue sneak inside to grab the bottle. Simple enough. So Vera the bard decides that since she's a follower of the goddess Mistra, they should just pretend to be going door to door trying to convert people. The rogue and Nefrena position themselves around back while Vera and the wizard prepare to knock on the door. As they approach, Vera whispers, Why would you buy a weed killer if you don't even have any weeds? What do you want? It's 1 a.m. Who knocks on someone's door at 1 a.m.? Did I mention it was the middle of the night? Good evening, sir. We're here to spread the word about the mother of all magic, Mistra. Let me ask you something. Are you satisfied with your current deity? The farmer is not buying it. You guys get out of here before I call the guards. He snaps, and he starts to close the door. Alicia the wizard stops the door with her hand. Listen, man, I really think you should hear us out. Help us help you. We're trying to give your life some new direction here. The farmer steps out onto his porch and starts yelling. Guards! Guards, help! Bira does the bard thing and casts suggestion on him. I really think you should just sit down, she says. So the farmer does just that. He promptly sits down on the front step, but continues yelling because she didn't actually tell him to stop. So now they have a frantic man screaming for guards while calmly sitting on his front porch. Time for plan B. They grab him, shove him inside, and sit him in a chair. The wizard then disguises herself as an undercover high priestess, which means she looked exactly the same but now with a Mr. Amulet on. The two begin explaining to the farmer that he is in possession of something that Mistra commanded them to retrieve. I'm secretly a high priestess of Mistra. See? I have an amulet and everything. Mistra has commanded we retrieve an item that is in your possession. It is very important we get it back. You want to please the goddess, right? What do I care? I don't follow Mistra. You both need to get out of my house. Did we mention you would be highly rewarded? The farmer suddenly perks up. Very rewarded. Like, super rewarded. The farmer thinks about it for a moment before saying, What could I possibly have that a goddess would need? Are you sure you're not just robbing me? Because it really seems like you're robbing me. About that time, a voice calls out from the other room. It's Thea the Rogue. Guys, we found a safe. We can't get it open, though. Vera looks awkwardly at the farmer and sheepishly asks if he has a key. No, there's not a key. It's a combination lock. Also, this is definitely giving off some robbery vibes. Then the rogue yells from the back of the house. Ask him when he was born. They look at the farmer expectantly. He sighs and says, I was born during the spring equinox in the year of the bent blades. Vera says, Well, that's not helpful at all. We need numbers. The farmer looks smug and says, You didn't ask for numbers. You asked when I was born. The wizard says, Look, we're a little pressed for time here. Can you just give us the code? 
Then we can get out of your hair, you can go back to bed, and be done with this rock. Divine intervention from Mistra. The farmer relents and tells them that the code to the safe is 5862. They relay this back to Nefrena and wait in awkward silence with the farmer. <coughs> Finally, the rogue calls back. It didn't work. The farmer rolls his eyes and says, Just let me do it. They take him back to the room with the safe and everyone steps aside for him to put the combination in. As soon as the safe is open, the wizard takes her staff and hits him on the back of the head. The farmer passes out cold. The group, still committed to their divine intervention trope, cleans the house, putting everything back where they found it so they left no trace. Then they put the farmer back in his bed and tuck him in with a kiss. Vera then goes back to the safe, grabs the bottle, and leaves the farmer with his reward. One gold coin. The group runs from the house with the sound of guards coming after them. They lead the guards on a short chase, but ultimately get away. When they finally stop, they pull out the bottle triumphantly and hand it to Nefrena to drink. She pulls the cork, turns it up, and says, It's empty. Then they hear the growling of hellhounds in the distance. They didn't manage to repel any hellhounds, but the farmer never had weeds again. The end. Thanks for listening. To submit a fail, email me at bedtimefairyfails at gmail.com or message me on Facebook. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram as Bedtime Fairy Fails and Twitter as BT Fairy Fails. <laughs>